Hello and welcome to the MVR podcast, season two, episode 17. I'm Rachel Elmer. And I'm Peter Jacob. And today we're talking about clarity. Should we be clear about that? <laughs> Should we be clear? How, do we, how do we get that clarity topic? Clear Peter? about clarity. Let's be clear about the clarity. What clarity are we talking about here? I mean, I, I think it's the clarity with which uh, NVR practitioners do or don't speak with parents and maybe sometimes with supporters or others. And it just sort of transpired, and we spoke about it a little bit earlier, that it's not always a simple issue, you know. Um, and, you know, I've often found myself um, thinking about and feeling uncomfortable with needing to say something that is perhaps difficult for parents to hear. And, um, and then at other times, asking permission to say something that may be difficult to hear, and then finding that that makes it so much easier. But it's, it's, it's a, I think it's a big issue. I think it's I think it's massive. Mm. And you just just you just said you're asking permission. If you say, can I have permission to say to be clear, to be to be frank? Yeah. But but actually the parents are gonna say yes, even if they're not sure, because it's polite it's British politeness. Yeah. You know, may I ask your permission to be clear? Yes, of course. They're not actually saying, I want to hear what you've got to say. They're yeah. just being very polite. And that's another fine line that you're dealing so with. It's, in it's cultural, too, that people will will consent, yet they yeah. may not feel that they really want to. <laughs> of course, it's only part of them that wants you to say something with clarity, because if it, it was already comfortable, they would be talking about it, wouldn't they? That's my sentiment. And, and, and we as practitioners wouldn't feel an inhibition no what made you say it's massive because I, I said it's big and you said it's a massive issue what, what? I think I, just for me personally my <clears throat> my self-awareness I'm forever holding the parents in my mind in the session and out of sessions but what can I say what is what is courteous what is what's consensual and but actually it's not they don't want to hear what I've got to say if we touch on this subject is this taboo are they are my my fear of making a parent not making them but a parent feeling uncomfortable a parent experiencing this discomfort in a, in a conversation that they're unfamiliar with or uncomfortable with and then talking about that you know so it just it is a theme runs through all of your sessions with families. Um, maybe I need to be clear at the point, at the starting point, the clarity. Well, essentially, if we don't develop enough clarity, I think we become ineffective, and, mm. and parents don't really get the help that they need. So there, no. there may be a difference in the 
apparent at a certain moment in time in the conversation between what they might want and what they might need. And that perhaps reflects what we often see in the young people as well. The young people uh, protest a lot often about what they want and don't want, but are often not that much in touch with their actual psychological needs. Mm. So um, I think it's crucial that we find a way through this. I was just, I mean, to put a bit of flesh on the bones, I was thinking of a recent supervision where the colleague spoke about these parents feeling that they are supporting their son mm. who has developed, you know, adult entrenched dependency by um, letting him live in the house, by giving him extra money so that he can buy his nice clothes, a nice outfit, um, giving him money to socialize when he actually probably uses that money to buy drugs. Mm -hmm. And they feel that they're supporting him and they're doing this because of their love to their son mm -hmm. and they wish to support him. Yet, it is not support to become more autonomous in life. It is inadvertently support to remain or become even more dependent on his parents. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of, at some point, I think there's no way around that. Mm -hmm. And if if we cannot speak with clarity with parents at that point, at that juncture, it's very difficult for them to move forward and to do something different. And it contributes to stuckness, doesn't it? Well, I'm seeing you and things aren't changing at home, you know, and, and clarity is really going to help that progression and that change. Yeah. And things won't change at home just by us talking. No. In NVR, like in some other therapeutic traditions, you know, like in solution-focused therapy, like in narrative therapy and so on, things change through interpersonal action. They change because we do stuff because parents do stuff, because family members do stuff, and they do stuff differently to the way they've done mm -hmm. it before. And if, if there is an expectation that talking about things will somehow, in some diffuse and unspecified way, percolate up into how parents communicate with their child, mm -hmm. um, it, it's not going to be fulfilled, that expectation. Mm -hmm. You know, it, things change because someone decides, okay, I'm going to do this differently because this matters. And so the point at which a parent of an adult son will say, I'm no longer going to give him money. Um, 
that's a crucial point. That deaccommodation, isn't it? We talk about. Yeah. I'm no longer going to accommodate these behaviours or this these attitudes. Yeah. yeah. And and that part, you know, when when the, the the client is a customer for change, makes it easy when they can talk about this. You know, I don't want to keep giving my son money for drugs, and I don't want. How can I? You know those clients that explore those solutions. How can I? What what it is I need to do? What strengths do I need to find in order to be able to deaccommodate that those behaviours and attitudes? So if the client is a customer, as you say, at that point, mm. then we're in business, as it were. Mm. Yet prior to that point, isn't it often difficult for us, emotionally difficult? You know. The parents are often such nice people and they mean so well and they have such positive intentions for their child. And I guess there are then that creates many inhibiting factors for us, you know, like I don't want to hurt these people. I don't want to upset them. And we witness their suffering, as you described, their intentions, their strengths and their love for their child, their young person, their adult child. And maybe in their past interactions with other services have experienced criticism and judgments. And I think MVR is such a wonderful intervention that really steers us away from that. Do you, you know, you do this or, or you know, you haven't been doing it right or you're not yeah. doing it well enough. And MVR steers us away from that, that, that position and language. And it's a much more therapeutic intervention, but you're right. You don't want to hurt their feelings. You don't want to upset them. Yes, and, and I think sometimes there's a confusion on the part of practitioners. Does that mean I'm now becoming directive or prescriptive um, because I'm, I, I feel like saying this, when actually maybe there is a need to say this? Do, do you know what, I'm, what just popped into my mind? Mm. I was thinking of something that Dan Dahlberger and I have been talking about. And I, I can't remember the exact language we use to describe it, but it's sort of something quite similar to when you're, for example, you're involved in a 12-step program. Mm -hmm. And in the 12-step programs, they call it surrender. Yeah. You know, I... So I, I give up something. So maybe for someone with uh, with an alcohol problem, the surrender might con might you know constitute the realization: I have to be afraid of alcohol. I can't go near alcohol. I'm, I haven't managed controlled drinking, so alcohol is stronger than I am. And if alcohol is stronger than I am, I have to run away from alcohol, and I may never. No, I won't ever be able to drink again if I'm mm. to achieve sobriety. And that surrender, or or if I'm, I don't know, if I'm the relative of someone with an alcohol problem and I'm at Al-Anon, I might realize, need to realize, you know, in, in my surrender, you know, that I can no longer provide an environment in which alcohol consumption is possible or, or tolerated. 
Mm. And that kind of, and, and I remember Dan saying that sometimes that surrender can take you to a dark place. It can be very mm -hmm. frightening. And I'm, I'm just wondering whether when we feel that we could or should speak with clarity, whether that's because we're getting to such a point of surrender. Mm -hmm. uh, ultimately, in, in terms of NVR, language, I think it's giving up the illusion of control. Parents come to us and tell us they feel helpless, but they act as if they could still solve the problem by continuing to do what they have been doing before, sometimes out of desperation because they feel they may not have done enough. Mm. And there is... But also, just interrupting you, they feel like if it's... If I do this last ditched attempt to support my child, that this will be the last, you know, this, I don't know, this will be the the last thing that the child sees as, as an, I don't know, I feel parents really invest in, in doing their absolute best. They keep doing the same thing because they think, you know, this last one time might be the time that, my child recognizes this is the last time i, I think that's beautiful yeah. what you've just said because that is so much part of the thinking isn't it and then yeah. somehow somehow the change will emerge yes and then maybe i you know i i, I didn't have to stop giving him drug money to pay his drug debts maybe i didn't have to take that plunge Maybe I didn't have to go to the that dark and dangerous spot. Maybe I didn't have to seek external helpers to support me in this because that's obviously problematic yeah. as well. And yeah. parents do not want or reluctant or feel all of those emotions, shame, guilt, anger of, of recruiting helpers because they then have to talk about this and make it real, you know? Making it real, I think that really um, that really describes it well. Making my resistance real, yeah. and that entails real risk and yeah. discomfort, maybe agony. Yeah. So, in a way, I guess, if we speak with clarity, are we not also containing of parents because we create space that allows them to feel those feelings and maybe express them to us and to others and to their supporters? Mm -hmm. So, but if we shirk the issue together with the parents, then maybe we're not containing in the same way. Yeah. I don't know if it's a shirked responsibility. That's an interesting word, I think. Avoid, maybe. Maybe shirk. Yeah, I think there's just discomfort. It's discomfort. It's, I think it's really holding the parents' emotions and abilities in mind it's about not pushing too hard I had this conversation with this colleague the other week about 
when do you push into that space and when do you pack back out of that mm. space and that lovely fine line that we experience now's the right time to talk about it now I've built that relationship now there's that trust now they know me well enough to know that it's not coming from a critical position or a judgmental position that they know I'm saying this with them hot when I'm holding them yeah so so deeply in mind and their 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 feelings their sadness their yeah to be erased from your child's life is a loss and understanding that loss yeah and that holding only becomes possible when there is something to hold them about and and i'm thinking of you know haim omer's uh concept of the anchoring function of attachment the child, or in some instances, the adult, uh, feels more secure because they can no longer, well, part of the anchoring function is no, no longer being able to control the adult. Mm -hmm. And as I believe in child-focused NVR, it creates space for the adult to actually respond to the child's needs rather than the child's wants. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, the adult, the parent themselves need to be anchored. They need to be anchored in their ecological support network and by us, by the practitioners. And that holding, that's part of that anchoring, because I, I think sometimes we nod when we hear that parents need to be anchored. But how does that actually happen? And Anchoring is something that holds the ship from drifting away in high seas. And those high seas can be the difficult emotions of parents mm. at a point where something becomes clear. Yeah, I'm glad you said ship. I thought you said another word. Oh, no, 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 no. ship, vessel. I'm thinking about the parents anxiety you know we think about that embodied presence and the parents anxieties by bearing their child's suffering no parent wants to see their child suffer mm. so we know where their position has determined from that place of not wanting their child to suffer i like the vehicle in the background that keeps reversing <laughs> <laughs> stop with the reversing noise thank you um Yes, I just think that that's anchoring the parents needing to be anchored in our work, in our sessions that enables them to talk about and explore their child's suffering and what it might be like to de-accommodate that. I think, yeah, I think that's, that's the shift. I think what you've just said is so important because the clarity with which we then speak can bring up that anxiety that parents feel. We are no longer together with the parents in the business of avoiding mm -hmm. what needs to be spoken about. And then, of course, that puts a responsibility on us as practitioners and a challenge to us because mm -hmm. we need to then be able to, in ourselves, tolerate the parents' anxiety. We need to be there for them when it's anxious. If we're too scared of their anxiety, 
we might shut down on this again. Mm. If we can bear it that they feel anxious, but be with them in that space together, you know, hold them, um, as you said, then they can experience that their anxiety doesn't have to be permanent. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it'll drop off again and they can act even though they felt anxious. Yeah. So we, in, in a sense, we, we empower them or they empower themselves in the relationship with us to actually get in touch with their anxiety, to feel it, to bear it. And we are there to hold them in that. Yeah, I think, I think that's, I think that's a, a really good summary actually. Hmm. So should we just wrap up at this point? <laughs> that was nice. Nice, nice chat about clarity. And I'm really going to utilize actually this podcast and some of my own personal supervision and Good. make sure that I feel clearer in my, in my sessions and Good. Have clarity, that relationship with my clients so that, yeah, that I'm in that position. I think yeah. that's really important. Good. Yeah. I've, I've enjoyed this conversation. As always. Okay. Well, it's goodbye from me. And from me. Bye.